Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So we're in this series in Joshua, and guys, like, this is a really exciting book for our church, uh, for for us personally, it's it's been an instrumental book for us, and and in the in the corpus of the scriptures, it's a really instrumental book. Like everything, if you're reading from Genesis to Joshua, everything is leading up to this. Right? You have land and seed and blessing, this this covenant. You have all, all these things happening in Genesis early on. You have the, the rescuer promise the, uh, in Genesis 3. And you have all these things, Abraham, 12, 15, 17 in Genesis. You have this promise to Judah in Genesis 49. And, and, uh, and then you have the Exodus. And then you have all this time in the wilderness, right? And, everyone's, and if you're just reading the scriptures from the beginning to now, you're anticipating and you're waiting and you're, you're getting to this point where something is about to happen, like something really cool is about to happen. And so your expectations should rise up. And that's why today we're talking about expectation. We've been talking about vision. We've been talking about mission. And, and today we're talking about expectation. And, and that's, that's key for us in our relationship with God. And, and so Missy and I, we have two daughters. We have an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old, and one of the practices in our family in order to, to disciple our children is, is uh, I don't know what we call it. It's just where we affirm one another and we encourage one another. And so we'll sit down, and we'll, and we'll, we'll sit down and right before they go to bed or something, and, and our girls call it like the favorite things thing or something, where we kind of say our favorite thing about each other, and we encourage one another in that. And it's supposed to be specific, supposed to be intentional, it's supposed to be strengths-focused, you know, it's, it's supposed to be all those things. Uh, but, but early on when we started doing this with the girls, when they were like three and four, it was, it was kind of, it was specific, but it was like, it was, it was hard for them. We had to build this culture into them. And, and so they would say to, to Missy, and they'd both kind of parrot this out, whoever said it first, right, they'd say it to Missy, and they'd say, we love that you always take care of us. And which was really sweet, right? And they'd go to me and they'd say, we love how you're always funny. <laughs> and that was really sweet. It's, it's specific, it's strengths focused because I love making people laugh. Missy, uh, her chief spiritual gift that she operates in is service. 
She has an incredible servant's heart. Like, so you're like, wow, this is really cool. But it became a little like mundane when they just said it over and over again. We would do this and they'd say, mommy. We're like, yeah, we love that you always take care of us. <laughs> and like, when that kept on happening, we were like, okay, they need to like, is that all they think of us? I mean, Missy started to think like, is all they think of me is that I'm here to fulfill your needs? Like, she's like, I can be the fun person too, you know? And I'm like, wait a second. I'm not just this like fun, no substance guy. Like, I actually take care of you too. I can actually do that. But guys, it became so bad that like, I, would, I would be sitting on, at the dining room table or, or sitting on the couch or whatever, and the girls are sitting next to me and they would literally get up, bypass me, and go find Missy to ask her to do something, for ask her for help. And I'm like, I'm right here. Like, you could have asked me. Um, and, and, it, and I'm like, ah, it just felt like, like I was a, little, a bit offended, right? It felt like they, um, they just didn't think I was there for them in those things. What was key in that is the primary way they viewed their relationship with me, influenced and dictated their expectation of me. What do you expect of God this morning? Is, is God like Missy to you? Where he's just there, there to fulfill all your needs? You're like, God, I love you. Thank you for always taking care of me. And that's it? He's just there, God, I need this. God, I need this. Can you help me with this? And that's all God is for you? Or is God uh, the, the all-loving, all-fun God? You know, no holiness, no justice, no, no fear of God. Is he, that, is he that for you? Good news for us is God is all those things, right? And more. He's all of those things and more. But depending on your relationship with God and how you view God will determine what you expect from God and what you expect of God. And if you think God's just there to fill your needs, you're always going to go to that. And you want to experience God's peace. You want to experience God's joy, right? Because you're always grasping for needs. And you're like, ah, I need this, I need this, God. And you won't, you, you won't even see that God's there to give you joy in the things that you maybe already have, right? And, and so your, your, your relationship with God really influences your expectations of God. And we're going to talk about that this morning because we're going to see that in this, in this passage. So here's the bottom line for this morning that I want to take throughout the entire passage. Is your relationship with God fuels your expectation of God. Right? We've just gone through vision in, in Joshua chapter 1, uh, the first part, and then Joshua chapter 1, the second part. We've gone through mission. And remember, vision is what's out there, what God wants for our church or wants for this people or wants for your life, right? It's that out there. And then mission is how are we accomplishing that? Like, what are we doing to accomplish that? And then your methods are like, what are we doing today to accomplish that, right? And so you have vision out there. You have mission. And for us as a church, if you missed the first two weeks, we, we talked about uh, 5,600 people, 560 organizations, and 56 plants, so 560 partners and 56 plants, right? This is, this is 5,600 people is discovering identity and destiny in Christ. 560 organizations is who we partner with, how we work in our city and around the world. And 56 church plants, we're about planting churches, is about uh, how we influence our world 
through starting new churches, right? And, and when I say, uh, just to give you a little recap here, uh, when I say 5,600 people, I don't mean we're going to grow this worship service as big as possible. That's not what I mean. Now, healthy things grow, we want to grow, all those things, but that's not what the, that is talking about influence, not gathering, okay? Now, sure, it could be a larger gathering, whatever, but guys, if we are, and this is where expectation comes in, if we are this size church for the next 50 years, that vision can still be accomplished, right? It's not about how many people we gather in these seats in this space, okay? So I want you to hear that. Uh, 560 partners, we partner with 30 organizations in our short lifespan of being a church in this city. Like, that's amazing, guys, where we partner with them, where our, our, our people mix with their people, where we help create solutions in our city. Like, we have 530 more to go. Uh, we planted four churches since we've been a church. Like, that's amazing, but at this rate, it's not enough. Like, we gotta, we gotta get going, right? If we, because uh, at this rate, it'll be 100 years before we plant 56 churches. Right? So we want to influence our, our world through planting churches as well. So here in Joshua, they have the vision. It's, to, it's, it's the land, right? The promised land. The mission. Go in and, and do this. Be strong. Be courageous. And now you get to Joshua chapter 2, and you have all this anticipation that's built up through the text. And Joshua chapter 2 happens. And it's kind of like deflating, actually. Because here, so right before Joshua chapter 2 happens, we're going to go through the whole chapter today, guys. Even though Michelle only read first and last, um, uh, we're going through the whole chapter. So uh, here, right before 2 happens, it says, only be strong and courageous. Be bold, right? That word is boldness, which is one of our core values here at Trinity Life. It's only be strong and act in boldness. Be courageous. And then it says, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. If you're reading this, uh, Joshua chapter 2, uh, you can actually read from the end of 1 and go straight into 3, verse 1. You don't even need chapter 2 to make the narrative flow. Okay? So I could read from verse 1 where it says only be, or sorry, uh, verse 18 in chapter 1, where it says, only be strong and courageous. And then I can go to verse 1 in chapter 3, where it says, then Joshua rose early in the morning and set out. You see how that flows? This actually doesn't flow in the text, which means, and actually an indication of that too, is it uses Joshua's full name here, which means there's some break here in the text. This is like an aside almost, which, which should indicate to us God has put this in here for a very specific reason. He's about to teach us something about himself and about us, right? And, and, and so we have here Joshua sending out two men secretly from Shittim as spies. So it's just like, be, be strong and courageous was, was repeated four times in chapter one. Over and over again, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, only be strong and courageous and then what does Joshua do? He sends out guys in secret. There's hiddenness and there's darkness, right? You will see later, later in here. And he sends them out as spies. Does that seem very strong and, and courageous? Right? He's, he's like under the cover. They're, they're hiding. 
And what's more is this happens in Shittim, which in Numbers 25 was the exact place that Israel forsook the Lord. And they, and they, they left, they, they disobeyed, and they prostituted themselves with the Midianites and to, and to Baal, the other god. This is the exact place. So, so it's not just like secret and spies. Joshua does this in the exact place where before was disobedience. Before was... So if you're reading this in this anticipation, you're like, uh-oh, this does not sound good for Israel. Because we've seen these signs earlier, and, and this is if you don't know the end of the story, right? And you're like, uh-oh, something bad is going to happen. And then it says, they went and came into a house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And you're like, uh-oh, this is really not good, because that's what happened before. And now, they're, now the first person they come to is someone named Rahab, which is funny, in the, in the Hebrew, there's Rahab, and, and, or, or her name is actually Rahab, like it's that, it's that, um, that letter in Hebrew, and then Rahab is actually the transliterated form for the poetic version of the, the country of Egypt in the scriptures. So you'll see Rahab in like Isaiah and Psalms and some other, some other poetry, and, and you're like, is this talking about Rahab the, here, or is it talking about, what's it talking about? Well, it's referencing Egypt, which, which kind of makes you think, okay, like, wow, Egypt, like this, this alludes to Egypt, like that's not a good sign either, because all they've done is struggle since they left Egypt. And so you're reading this, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is not good for the people of Israel. They've come across some obstacles, right? And, and they're not doing things the right way. He just said, be strong and courageous, and they're going in there like this. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And look how long the deception lasts. <laughs> Verse 2, and it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And I know where they are. Verse 3. The king sent Jericho to Rahab, saying, bring them out. Those who entered the land or entered your house, where they've come to search out the whole land. Guys, for us as a church, this is not time for hiddenness. This is not time for secrecy. This is not time for spying things out. We've heard from, from the Lord. We're trusting the Lord, and we're going to obey the Lord. When we hear God's voice, we obey. Right? This is John 10. This is Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice. They know it. They trust it. They listen to it. They follow it. And, we're not, and, and for us as a church in this season of vision and mission, we're not going to sit back and send out spies and say, hey, maybe we should test the waters here and see if everything's okay before we declare that God is calling us to this. Because they had all the promises from the scriptures. They have the same, the same scriptures we do, right? Like, they, they could have read those, the Law of Moses in the first five books, and yet they still said, ooh, we're not sure about this. Let's, let's send in the spies. For us in this time, what we can learn is that our tendencies are towards this weakness, right? It's towards not trusting God. It's towards not, uh, not believing that he is going to do what he says he's going to do. That's our flesh. That's our sin. How many times in your life does that happen? Where, where you feel like God has told you to do something, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure, God. Can you give me a sign? Like, I, I don't know. And guys, I've been there. I've done that. 
I'm like laying out my fleece, right? Um, this is a reference to Gideon. I'm like, hey. And then when he does, I'm like, I'm going to flip this fleece. Let's, let's flip the script here. God, do the grass and not the, you know? And it's, it's like, um, and God, I can just imagine God sitting up there, and he's so patient with us, right? But now for us as the collective, it's not time to doubt. It's not time to be in secrecy. And if this vision and if this mission, our mission discovering identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world, if, if that's hard for you to grasp, like, cast that into the light. Like, don't, don't hide that in your heart and say, I'm, I'm not sure about this, I have doubt. Like, talk to us about it. Like, cast that into the light so that we can walk forward together in the light. We don't need spies in the land, right? We need to be strong and courageous in unity, like we talked about last week. And it was, so, verse 5. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So more hiddenness. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And when the gate was about to close the dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. She's telling the king's men this. In verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof, hid them with, the, with stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. And that's one illusion in the story where you're like, okay, something good is about to happen. Despite what's happening so far, something good. Because it, it makes you think of Moses being hid among the reeds, right? And, and being this rescuer to, that, that's going to rescue the people. Uh, so here, they're hiding in the flax, Verse 7, so the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan, and they couldn't find them. The gate was, was, was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So um, this passage right here, that, that little section, tends to become the focus of it for everybody because people are like, oh, did Rahab lie? Is that, does God approve of that? Is that condoned? Because Rahab in the New Testament in three different spots, which is almost more than anybody else, is commended for her faith. In three different spots in the New Testament, Matthew 1, uh, James, and Hebrews 11, James 2 and Hebrews 11, she's commended for her faith. You're like, oh, wait, she, she lied here. And so a lot of people focus on, on that, that part uh, and on her, on her lie. But, but guys, we're not, we're not going to focus on that this morning. If you wanna, so a lot of Christian ethics come from that part. So if you want to talk about Christian ethics some other time, we can talk about that. There's three main views for that. There's, there's conflicting absolutes, non-conflicting absolutes, and hierarchicalism. So we can talk about that, but, we're not, but that's not the focus of this passage because you'll just get distracted. And, and when people focus on that, they miss what God is doing in this passage. Okay? Like, just, like... What's funny about this is, one, the lie isn't even the most egregious sin of Rahab, right? If we want to talk about sin, like, us as good Christians, we're going to focus on people's sin, right? Like, when I say good, I mean bad. Like, we, we love doing that, focusing on people's sin. And we're like, oh, did Rahab lie, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not even the most egregious thing in the past. She's a prostitute. Like, she's introduced to us as that. Like, so if, if we would focus on anything, why not focus on that? Like, and, and here's the thing, guys. I was talking to someone this past week, and when they became a follower of Jesus, because of their past, when they became a follower of Jesus in the church, they thought they could never share things from their past because of the shame that would come along with it. 
because of what people would think, because of the negative, whatever, the judgment. And I love, Adam, you basically preached the entire sermon this morning through, and we haven't talked about it, through, through just leading us in worship. And, and there's so much hiddenness in the church, guys. I, but we need to bring the things in the darkness into the light. Paul says in, in Ephesians, when you do that, they become light. Walk as a child of light. And, and, and guys, the shame of that is, the shame of that story is that in most church environments, that's true. If you shared your past with somebody and you wanted to help them carry your burdens, they may judge you. That's the shame of it. The good news is, God's not like that. And as followers of Jesus, if you're a genuine follower of Jesus, you won't be like that. Right? And we're trying to create a community like that where there's, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Like, that's what kind of community we want to be. Because God in this passage is not focused on Rahab's sin. He's focused on her Savior. Because just in the few verses following, she's about to make a confession that he is Lord, which up to this point in the scriptures, very few or maybe no other Gentile has done this. This is a big deal. And if we're going to focus on anything in this passage, let's not focus on whether she lied or not, whether God condones it or not. Let's focus on her faith in the Lord, right? Sure, she messed up. I don't know about you guys. I mess up multiple times an hour. So, uh, and, and God still uses, and he still redeems. And, and that comes through repentance and confession, right? And, and so um, Rahab here, in verse 8, says, Before the men laid down, she came up on the roof and said to them, I know, like she has experience here, guys. Like, I know that the Lord, and whenever you see Lord, I know on the, oh, it is on the screen in all caps. Whenever you see it in all caps, I know I say this over and over again, but this is huge in, in, in the Hebrew scriptures. That is a personal name of God. That, in all caps in your Bible, is Yahweh. This is from Exodus 3. It's when Moses says, who, who shall I say sent me? He says, Yahweh. I will be what I will be. Basically, I'm with you wherever you go. I am who I am, right? Which is why, uh, fast forward in the, the Gospel of John, when Jesus says, I am, and that's all he says, everyone's like, whoa, you are not. <laughs> and they, they get angry, right? Um, so this is the personal name. She uses the personal name of God. She doesn't say Baal. She doesn't say uh, Asherah. She doesn't say Ishtar or Chemosh, like any of those other gods. She says, Yahweh, the Lord, has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. That we don't have time to go into that phraseology, but that phraseology, <coughs> not the way before you, is you can trace it all through the story of Moses. Okay, so this is like, it's, it's a, when you see this, it's an indication that the promise is about to be fulfilled. Okay, so melt away before you, verse 10, we have heard how the Lord, Yahweh, dried up the water of the Red Sea. See how she knows God? Guys, her expectation of God in this moment is informed by what she knows of God. And she knows some really powerful things about God, right? She's like, fear has fallen upon us. 
the waters of the Red Sea were dried up. Like, that is a magnificent occurrence, right? Like she, and she's heard about it, and she trusts. And she says, uh, I, I know what happened to the Egyptians, right? And I know what happened to those two kings, the Amorites, to Sihon, to, to Og. And as soon as we heard it, again, this phraseology, our hearts melted. And there's no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, Yahweh, your God, he, and, he, and get ready for this, guys, this, this next phrase only happens three other times in the Pentateuch thus far in the Bible. Three times, two times in the Ten Commandments. One in Exodus 20, one in Deuteronomy 5, where Moses kind of reiterates the Ten Commandments, and then one in Deuteronomy 4, where Moses says, there's only one God. And she's about to say these exact words. He is God in the heavens <coughs> above and on the earth beneath. There is no other God, is basically what she's saying. She has just renounced everything that she's ever known, and she's died to herself, in the, in the words of, of Paul, right? She has uh, given up her, her life. She's become a living sacrifice, and she said, your God is my God. I'm, I'm now one of you, basically, is what she's saying. And guys, her expectation, right? Like, this is a very nascent relationship with God. It's, it's in its, it's in its, like, baby form, right? Like, she is a, a brand new follower of God here. And she's declaring all these things. And she's like, I've seen and I've heard. And, and they told me about what God did. right? And, and I believe in that. Guys, do we, like, what do you expect of God? Right? He is, he's God above and God beneath. He's God over all. Right? And when you look at your life, what do you really expect of God? And, and look at it in what you doubt of God. Like, how often do you doubt his goodness? Because you don't see what he's put right in, in your hands. Because you're like, well, I want that goodness. And, and God's like, well, I've given, you, I've given you this. Right? How often do you doubt God's forgiveness? Like, oh, I, I can never. I mean, God... God can never forgive me for what, what I've done. God can never do that. Like, guys, you just put God in a box if you say God can never anything. Right? He's above all. How often do you doubt God's sovereignty that he's actually in control? Sickness happens. Illness happens. Loss of job. Loss of family member. All those things. And, and we doubt God's control so quickly. We doubt his sovereignty so quickly. And we don't look at his goodness and, and, and trust that he, he is orchestrating things, not necessarily for you, but for him. Ah, oh, how many of you guys, your faith is, God, what have you done for me lately? Here's some news for you as a follower of Jesus. God is not that concerned. <laughs> this is, this is going to sound a little blasphemous at the beginning. Uh, God is not that concerned about you and your purposes individually. He's concerned about how that fits into his purposes. Right? So realign your perspective. If, if, you're, if you're saying, God, why is this happening to me? You're doubting his sovereignty. Trust his purposes. If you're a follower of Jesus, trust in him. 
Because we know that our God's purposes always happen. Like, we know that he is in control, right? Do you know that? I saw one head nod. <laughs> like, we know that, right? Yeah, like, if you're a follower of Jesus, we know that he is this. And she knows here that this God, Yahweh, fulfills his promises. And so she's relying on that in the next few verses. She says, so because of that, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with me, with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. She trusted, not them, she trusted the Lord. She trusted in his faithfulness, and that as they were followers of Yahweh, that they would be faithful. The word she uses here, the word they use here, the word that's used in this text, kindly, refers to God's, it's the word in Hebrew, chesed. It's, it's, it's kind of like the, and if you're familiar with the New Testament uh, words for love, agape is like the, the God, people say it's like the God type love, right? Um, the word in Hebrew is chesed in, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures. And this refers to God's loving kindness is like the best translation, but it's, it's not really translatable into English because it refers to this like never giving up type of love that always pursues us, that is always after us, that this love we can't even comprehend, like this love we can't even wrap our minds around because it is from God and it is for his people. And, and so this type of love, this kindness, this loving kindness is what Rahab says here. She's like, I've shown you that, right? Because now she's a follower of Yahweh. And now I expect you, as followers of Yahweh, to show me that. Guys, if we could get to that place in our church, because here's the thing with vision and mission. If we can't live in community, in unity with each other, vision and mission are going to be really hard to see come to fruition. That's a great bottom line, right? That rhymed and everything. Like, <laughs> vision and mission, you don't go to see it come to fruition. Boom. Someone write that down and text it to me later. Uh, I remember, like, guys, if, if, where was I going? Expectation, yeah, unity, unity. Um, and, and, and they, she expected something from them. Guys, in the church, we become so soft on accountability with each other. So soft. And, and, and it's not for a bad reason. Our intentions are like, oh, we want to show grace. Well, guess what, guys? God shows grace, but he also drops the hammer sometimes, right? Like, this, he shows grace, but he's a holy God. He shows grace, and he shows mercy, but there's consequences for our actions, right? Like, he shows, he shows grace, and he's loving, but guys, the only reason we live in more grace is because Jesus took all of that wrath. I, God, there's still consequences for our sin. There's still consequences for our failure. Now, grace says, let's pick each other up. Let's carry each other's burdens and push forward and learn from our failures. But in the church, we become so soft. Like, oh, man, you're struggling with pornography? Yeah, that's okay. You know, just, um, just keep on, like, pursuing Christ. Oh, it happened again? Yeah, don't worry about it. You know, like, um, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. God loves you. 
oh, it happened again. Oh, no, like guys, that person, if it keeps on happening like that, they are not following Jesus. They're following their flesh. You gotta call that out. You know the scriptures? There's four things the New Testament says the scriptures does for us. You know what they are? 2 Timothy 3. It says, one, it corrects us. Two, it rebukes us. Both those things aren't very pleasant. Three, it teaches us. Four, it trains us in righteousness. Out of those four, only one can be, maybe be semi-pleasant, right? The rest of them are like, man, we're not doing a good job. We need, to, we need to live more like Jesus, right? Guys, I pray every day, Jesus, make me more like you. Every morning, fill me with your spirit. Make me more like you. Uh, I'm your servant, and I trust you to speak to me today. I say those things almost every morning. The first thing I think of when I wake up. Because I know that without that, without me being in the presence of God and living with God, I'm just going to revert to my flesh. I'm just going to fall away. And guys, we're there to hold each other up, to hold each other accountable in unity. And if we can't do that in the church, like we're never going to accomplish vision and mission. we got to say no, get out of that whatever sin it is. You're better than that because you are a son of God. And sons of God don't act like that. And we got to do that for each other. Because who else is going to do that? Who else is doing that? Right? Not our world, not our city, not our culture. They say it's all okay. Be happy. As long as you're not hurting anybody, do whatever you want. Right? In the church, that's not how, how community happens. We have to expect more from each other. Right? And, and the other side, I may come this later. I'm time for this right now. But... Um, Expectation is key, right? And it's fueled by our relationship with God. If we know God's holy, we're going to expect each other, each other to be holy, right? We're holy as he is holy. we got to call each other to and, and lift each other up. Now, not in condemnation, right? Don't go around condemning people, <clears throat> right? If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. But we're called to build each other up and to call each other to a higher standard. So let's, let's do it. Let's be a community that, that does that. And here, she also expected in them the same that she had received from the Lord. And so many times, guys, we assume and expect the worst in people. Something happens, and we're like, we're like oh, they, they did this because of this, this, this. They hate me, whatever, whatever. And we assume the worst instead of saying, wait, they're a follower of Jesus. I should actually expect the best in them. And guys, I'm telling you, when I, when I talk to people, when I counsel people, all, all that stuff, and I expect the best in them, they almost always live up to it. I don't have to parse out the intentions of their heart, although I know their intentions are bad. Jeremiah says our hearts are wicked. <laughs> They're desperately evil. Who can know it? Only the Lord, right? So I know your hearts are bad. Don't even, don't even try to hide that. Like, your deception we found out as quickly as the spies were. Right? Your heart is, it's, it's wicked, it's evil. It's only something with the spirit who has exchanged your heart of flesh or stone for a heart of flesh, right? Which is confusing because flesh is like bad in the New Testament. But you get what I'm saying, like it's a soft heart. So um, expect the best. They at least try to live up to it. And you can work with someone who's trying to live like Jesus, right? So Rahab does that, okay? And then this next, this next section. So that was the, the big meat of the passage. This next section, uh, we're, I'm not going to read the whole, the whole thing here. But basically, she lets them down with a rope. 
they, the spies escape, and they say, hang the scarlet cord in your window, and we'll save your family be saved on, on that day. Anyone who's, who's in that. And that should allude us to the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, you know, the, the painting uh, the, uh, of the doorpost with blood. And so they pass over her house when the destruction happens. Okay, so that brings us to verse 22. Verse 22 says, And they departed and went to the hills. This is the spies. They remained there. The pursuers searched. They didn't find them. Verse 23, the two men returned, and they came down the hills. They came to Joshua, son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, guys, listen to this. It's like now they believe. Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So you see what I mean? It's, it's, like, it's like they should have gone from chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 1, because then it says chapter 3, verse 1, then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. But they have this narrative in there, which, again, isn't essential to the flow of the narrative, but shows us it's essential for us learning our weaknesses. It's essential for us learning that God is faithful. And they had to learn that, that God is faithful. That God is faithful. You guys hear that? Like, God is faithful. This morning, God is faithful. Remember that. God is faithful. Like, if, we, if I just preach a sermon and just say God is faithful over and over again, like, maybe I should do that sometime. Because, like, we don't believe it. I just need to, we just need to say it over and over again and see, like, he is he is faithful. So what does, <coughs> what does, what should you expect individually? What should you expect of God? And then as a church, what should we expect of God? Like how does our relationship with God fuel our expectation of God? And guys, if you really, so individually, if you really knew who God was, do you think you would ever doubt his goodness and his forgiveness and his love and his sovereignty and his grace? If you really knew who God was, how many of you think of God just like Missy? How many of you think of God just like uh, the, the all-loving God, right? And don't know the fullness of God. And remember, I said this last week, I don't know any other way to learn who God is than knowing this book, right? Anything I've said to you this morning is from this book. And people ask me all the time, well, how did you do that? I was like, well, I read it. <laughs> like, well, how do you read the Bible? I'm like, well, you know how to read, right? Like, you just read it. Guys, I didn't, I didn't have to, like... Like, I just read it over and 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 over again. And that's what you have to do. If you want to know God, you got to spend time with him. Right, the practice of presence, we talked about that all this summer. And I get the Bible is hard, like especially the Old Testament, right? I get it's hard to understand and things like that. There's things in there like, what in the world? Because I've read the Bible so many times, and I'm still like that. I'm like, what? How? I don't get it. I don't, I don't know. 
And it just takes reading over and over and over and over again to know who God is. And when you can do that, it will fuel your expectation of God. So that when he gives you a vision, you're like, I don't need to send in spies. I'm just going to walk forward and do this because I trust in him. And guys, I don't know if this is the right step or the wrong step, but I know it is a step. And I know that when we step forward in faith, and when we are, Isaiah says this, when we're willing and obedient, we will eat of the goodness of the land. We'll know his peace, we'll know his presence, we'll know his rest. And we should want that. You should want that individually, and you should want that as a church. Rahab took a huge step of faith, a huge one, because she expected God to move. She expected God to be there for her. She expected God, through his people, to do something miraculous like she had heard in the past. And the miracle is, guys, her house is built in the walls. Do you know what crumbles when Israel walks around Jericho? The walls. I don't know how that happens. Like, we haven't gone to there yet. We'll get to there, but... Like her house, this passage, it's in the wall. And the walls come down. So I don't know if her house is just like floating up there or, or what, but she was saved, right? She believed God could do a miracle because she'd heard about it before. So trust, trust God in those things. Guys, he wants the best for you. It may not be your best, but it's his best. Now, do you want his best? Is that something that you say, yeah, I'm going to die to my own desires, and I want your best, God? And if your relationship God can, with God can fuel your expectations of God, your expectations of God will be spot on because they're, they're informed by what you know of God. And here as a church, we have created or we're trying to create a culture of expectation that when we gather when we are in the city, when you're at your workplaces, we expect God to move because you are a child of light walking into darkness. And you're a son of God. I don't have time to explain all that. Uh, in the church, we say sons and daughters of God a lot because we're trying to be like, uh, but the Bible just says sons of God, which is actually more, uh, which is actually more gender empowering than sons and daughters because it's saying like, there's no distinction. Everybody has the same thing in Christ Jesus. Like, that's pretty beautiful, right? Uh, so walk as that in your workplaces. Walk as that in your neighborhoods. Walk as children of light, as children of God. And let's do that as a church together as we live on, on mission and see this vision come to fruition. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you perfectly showed us this, that you lived this out, that, um, yeah, you're just... You're our life, and we are yours. And, and Jesus, um, thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you for showing us that we can just trust in the Father. The only thing you did was what the Father told you to do. So make us people like that. Show us how to step forward in faith like that, in strength and in courage and in boldness. And thank you for showing us our tendencies and our weaknesses in this passage. But in our weaknesses, we know that your power is made known.
So use us as your vessels. For your glory, we ask in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.